Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat real quick. Um, some of you guys know Kim. Um, Kim is um, our assistant at the creek on staff here. And uh, the reason I asked her to, uh, to read for us this morning, you know, I thought I was blessing her by asking her to read. She thought I was cursing her. Uh, but, but I wanted to honor her because uh, she is very Martha-like. Uh, she is a silent servant and we just read about Martha in the scripture. And so I uh, just wanted to honor her this morning. So you're welcome. And uh, so you can, <laughs> yeah, thank you, Kim. <laughs> uh, let's, uh, let's pray before I, I try to preach this. <laughs> uh, Father, thank you for the story. Father, this story is about worship. This story is about some who see Christ as worthy of worship, and it's beautiful. But it is also a story about those who do not see Christ as beautiful, and for them it is suicidal. I pray that we identify and we would choose as Martha and Mary today to worship Jesus. God, that's the work that you do, not me. And so I pray, we pray that you show us your worth today through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Open up their Bibles to John chapter 12. We're a, we're a church that wants to encourage physical Bibles. We're not going to condemn you if you have a digital one, but we do encourage physical Bibles. Um, it's good to have that in our hands. It doesn't alert me to things uh, while I'm reading it. And so uh, today, in, in our, we're in the middle of a four-week series looking at four iconic moments in the life of Jesus leading up to, of course, the empty tomb at um, at Easter. We'll celebrate that. Last week in chapter 11, we looked at the resurrection of Lazarus. And today in chapter 12, we're going to look at the preparation of Jesus for his burial at Bethany, which is not far, far away. Now, 
I thought about this story this week, and it, what, what, something that came to mind is, is the, our ability to smell, the power of smell, the sense of smell that we have is one of the most powerful and evocative of all of our senses. You think about the power of smell. When you smell something, how it has this power to flood our minds with memories and nostalgia, uh, just experiences, all these things just flood when we smell things, right? It, it could be uh, the smell of a perfume that mom used to wear or the cologne of dad, who, what he used to wear. It could be uh, the smell of fresh laundry, these are powerful things. It could be the, the smell of freshly brewed coffee. Um, it could be the, the sweet fragrance when you walk into Goodwill. Everybody, anybody ever done that? Like, I, I love to go to Goodwill with my wife, and she could literally blindfold me, and I would walk into Goodwill, and I would know within probably five seconds I was at Goodwill. It just has a distinct smell. There is something powerful about smell the sense of fragrance and how it stirs up all these things both good and bad today in this story in chapter 12 we are going to see the sweet fragrance of worship the sweet smell of worship that is poured out as Jesus is being anointed for his burial at Bethany this sweet fragrance of worship that we'll see was so powerful that it permeated throughout the house to all of the people. This fragrance of worship prepared Jesus for his burial and this sweet aroma of worship prized Jesus above all things. So those are the three things we're going to see today about our worship. Our worship permeates, our worship prepares, and our worship prizes. So let's look at this, these three things. The first thing I see in this text is that worship permeates. Worship permeates. Let's look at this in John 12, 1 through 3. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with fragrance of the perfume. This story takes place just six days before the Passover. Six days before our Lord would lie down on a cross to give his life for people that hated him, like you and like me. That's the setting of chapter 12. This is also a setting right after Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. It's just happened out of 11. And so this family is celebrating what Jesus has just done by raising Lazarus from 
the dead. They are throwing a thank you party to Jesus. So this party, this dinner is not in the name of Lazarus. It's in the name of the one who raised Lazarus from the dead. He's the guest of honor, not Lazarus. And so in verses one through three, there is a lot of worship that's happening. Don't know if you see it. Let me see if I can help us. Number one, uh, there's worship that's happening in the house. Uh, this, this house, we're told in Mark 14, was the house of Simon the leper, or really the former leper. And he's hosting this party for Jesus, to celebrate Jesus and to honor Jesus. Showing hospitality by opening up his home. That's a form of worship. Using our homes for worship. And just a small space to say to those here that show this kind of hospitality with your home. If you open up your home in the name of Jesus, celebrating Jesus in honor of Jesus by inviting Christian friends over in your house to have fellowship, to break bread, to celebrate Jesus, or even evangelistic purpose to tell someone about Jesus, that's worship. That's worship. So for those that do that, groups and all the things that you do, man, that's a form of worship in your home. It's a great thing we learn from worship of Simon the leper here. Now, there's also some worship going on between Mary and Martha. They're both worshiping here, and they're worshiping in different ways, though, right? Martha is doing what she always does. She's worshiping by serving. She's worshiping by serving. We all know people like Martha, men and women both alike, who just love to serve. Men and women, they're, they're moving things, fixing things, building things, setting things up, tearing things down, cooking, cleaning. These are the way that people worship Jesus is through kind acts of service. And that's what Martha's doing. Her worship of Jesus was to serve Jesus and his disciples. So she's, she's probably been up all night preparing the house for the arrival of Jesus in this party. She's probably been uh, just, I mean, getting everything laid out on the counters. She is uh, firing up the oven. She's using her best recipes for Jesus. She's serving. She's cooking in the kitchen. She's filling up the drinks of all the guests. This is what Mary is doing, and she's worshiping Jesus. Now, we've seen Mary do something or Martha do something like this before remember the time in Luke's gospel where Jesus was in the home and Martha was running around stirring up and doing a lot of busy work and she got mad at her sister Mary for sitting at the feet of Jesus and Jesus really kindly softly rebukes her says hey you got something wrong here Martha you're, you're, you're serving right now, that's not really worship because you're troubled and you're anxious and you're mad. And that story, of course, tells us that it's very possible to serve Jesus physically but not worship him at all. Let's all be careful of that. Just because we're physically serving does not mean that's true worship. But that's not what's happening here. This is true worship by Martha. She has a calm heart. She's not anxious. She's not troubled at all. She's worshiping Jesus through her act of service. 
can imagine the house here, the scene. Just kind of put yourself in this scene for just a moment with sanctified imaginations. All the guests are there. It's probably 16, 17, and they're all laughing enjoying one another. Lazarus is kicking it with Jesus at the table. I don't even know what they're talking about. Simon's talking about the time Jesus healed him. Lazarus is like, hey, he raised me from the dead. I, I don't know what that conversation was like, but imagine that environment. And now this sweet fragrance of dinner is permeating through the house. The smell of fresh bread. But it's also the sweet aroma of worship of Martha that is permeating throughout the entire house and to all people. I'm thankful for the Marthas here at our church. I'm so thankful. So many Marthas here at our church, and they're busy. Uh, They come here to this church on Sunday specifically. It's not the only time you serve, but wow, it's the greatest place to practice serving. And there's Marthas flooded down this hallway, and there's Marthas at the front door when you come in, and there's Marthas helping you find seats, and there's Marthas in the booth, and there's Marthas in kids' ministry, Marthas in student ministry, and this church is filled with a lot of Marthas. One that comes to mind today um, is a man named Dick Overby. Don't know if you know Dick Overby. He, uh, for long time lifer at Life Point, been around a very long time. He was a, a very much a Martha-like in his service over in kids ministry, um, serving as a boys leader. Just sitting with little restless boys with wiggles and short attention spans and telling them about Jesus. Dick Overby lost his life last night to cancer. But here's what I know. I know that the sweet fragrance of Dick's worship of Jesus will be smelt throughout the church for a long, long time. Love that man. Love that man. I'm thankful for the Marthas here. Now, Mary is also worshiping, and she's doing what she loves to do, sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's her thing, right? Only this time, she's not just sitting at the feet of Jesus. She gets up and grabs this perfume, this flask of ointment, this perfume-like fragrance here, and she offers Jesus her most prized possession. She pours out this flask at the feet of Jesus and begins to wipe his feet with her hair. Now, this is not random. Surely, Mary had witnessed the time that this had occurred earlier in Jesus's ministry. When Jesus was reclining and eating with a Pharisee, a prostitute comes in, falls down at the feet of Jesus, and starts to wet the feet of Jesus with her tears. And so this surely had a profound impact upon Mary. And so she's so gripped by it. She's like, I'm going to do this now. Only I'm not going to do it with tears. I'm going to do this with this perfume. This perfume was incredibly expensive. And I'll speak to this more in just a few minutes. But for now, know this. 
it was the most valuable thing, possession, that Mary owned. She worshiped by her giving. Mary is worshiping by giving up other things that are not as valuable as Jesus. And I'm thankful for the Marys at our church here. Men and women who are willing to give up and part ways with possessions because they see the worth of Christ. Thankful for those who give because of the worth of Christ, who give their tithes and they give their offerings and they practice generosity above and beyond because they see the worth of Jesus more valuable than worldly treasures. Thank you, church, for the Marys that faithfully do that. Just imagine again the worship here. As, as, as Mary pours out this perfume, again, the fragrance spills, overflows, is poured out to the entire house and everyone in the house. So now you have these fragrances that are colliding with one another. You have the fresh smell of the bread, the serving. You have the fresh fragrance of giving and perfume. You have the fragrance of perspiration. You have the fragrance of perfume that is permeating throughout this entire house and to all people. What does this mean for us? What can we learn about worship? Worship permeates. That's the point of this first section here. Is the, in the Christian life, number one, every moment of our life is lived in the presence of Jesus as if he were sitting in our own homes with us all day, every day, everywhere we go, at work, home, play, wherever. He's always there. We're always in the presence of Jesus. Always. Worship doesn't just start and stop on Sunday mornings when we come in and we trigger the first song. Worship doesn't end when you leave here today and go on to do whatever it is you do. Worship doesn't begin when I open my Bible Worship is life. It's everything in life for the Christian. Every millisecond of our day and every millisecond of our life post-salvation is Christian worship. According to Paul 12.1, our lives are living sacrifices, right? Everything is worship. And it should permeate in every domain of our lives. Worship should permeate our lives individually. Individually. It, worship should permeate our quiet times in the morning. When, how we read, how we pray. Worship should permeate our voices when we're supposed to sing during worship. Corporately. Worship should permeate all of those things. Worship should permeate my marriage and how I treat my wife and your husband and our spouses. How I parent my children should permeate through worship of Jesus. Work. 
Worship should permeate our work, our jobs, our careers. Worship should permeate our lives. Worship should also permeate our entire church. Worship of Jesus, of course. He's the object of our worship here. That's what Benji was talking about just a minute ago. This church is not about lifting up life point, and it sure is not about lifting up a pastor. There are no celebrities in the Christian life. Hear me again. There are no such thing as a Christian celebrity. It's all about Jesus and everybody else falls in second place. He is the only celebrity in the church. And it permeates, life point. Everything we do is to point you, to show you that worship should permeate everything that we do at our church. It's the reason we send missionaries locally and globally. It's not, we don't just send missionaries out so, to feed people and give them clean water and fix things. That's not why, ultimately why we send them out. We send them out because Jesus is wor- worthy of their worship. That's why we go do those things. And it should permeate our churches. Worship should also permeate our homes. Our houses should be houses of prayer and houses of worship where we read and we pray and we sing. Every domain of our lives. Worship should permeate our parenting. You know, we, 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 we take our kids to church and we teach them about Jesus. But here, we don't do that because we want them to stay away and avoid jail or getting pregnant. That's not why we do this. We teach them about Jesus because he's worthy of their worship. Worship permeates everything. And when... When worship does begin to permeate all domains of our lives through Christian obedience, that's what it looks like. Here's what happens. That is a sweet fragrance and aroma that's pleasing to God. He can just breathe it in all day long. Oh, it smells so good. Yes, it's a pleasing aroma to God, but you know what? It's also a pleasing aroma to It's a pleasing aroma to people who are perishing in the world. Look at Paul's words, 2 Corinthians. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us into triumphal procession. And through us, he spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Perhaps an illustration might help us. There's a man named Bill Sauter who is a Titanic historian. Been studying, giving himself to uh, the history of the Titanic. He worked with uh, James Cameron and the film and all these other history specials. And um, he, he describes uh, when they recover items from the Titanic, the sunken ship, when they bring stuff up, he describes the, the lab when they bring these things up. He says it's just, uh, 
It's, it's, it's rotten. He said, the smell of the room is, it's wet, it's rusty, and it's rotten. He says, it's, it's a smell of, of death that you've never, ever smelt before. It's the perfect smell of death is what he says. But he tells a story about one specific day where one of the recovered items from the bottom of the ocean was a satchel, a leather satchel. And in the leather satchel contained a tiny vial of unopened perfume. And he describes the moment that they opened that tiny little vial of perfume. He described it. He said he began to weep. He began to cry and weep. And he said this, it was the most wonderful thing that he had ever smelled before. He said it was delicious and completely overwhelming. The sweet fragrance of perfume moved throughout the entire lab and to all of the people. And as we were surrounded by all of those dead things for just one moment, the ship came alive again. Church, the world is filled with a titanic-like stench of death and decay. Sin, self Rule, rebellion, deceit, lies, individualism, be you, do you. The celebration of the LGBTQ community, autonomy, independent social media influencers, Look at me, follow me. This is what the stench of death smells like. Political idolatry, hopelessness, hate, words of war on social media. People are doing verbal drive-bys all the day long, shooting people with their words. This is what the smell of death and decay is. God forbid that we ever smell like the world. God forbid we ever smell. What this world needs from all churches, and this church today is to be the aroma of Christ in a death-stenched world. That's our purpose. We are supposed to be the sweet aroma of Christ in a dead world that is permeates throughout all of the world and so that some people might, sw- might smell this perfume of Christ-likeness come to life in Jesus. That is what the church's purpose is. We are the sweet of fragrance of Christ. Worship should permeate everything that we do. The second point is this. Worship prepares. 
Worship prepares. Now, Mary is anointing Jesus because she's preparing him for his burial. Well, there's a problem. He ain't dead yet, right? So what's happening here? Because typically the anointing of a dead body was something that the Jews did to cover the stench of death. But Jesus is still alive. What is she doing here? She's anticipating the death of Jesus, but how does she know he's going to die? Well, we can infer from a few things. We know at the end of chapter 10 that the Jews started to get so angry at Jesus that they ran him out of Judea. They wanted to stone him. That's already the hostility is building up. We know that. Things are taking a turn. We know that many of the Jews, the Pharisees, had witnessed the resurrection of Lazarus, what Jesus did, and they got ticked about it, right? They run back and go tell all the Pharisees and the high priests. And so Mary probably knows, she should know she was close to Jesus. She loved him. She knew him. She spent time with him. So surely she knew that Jesus' death and his burial were impending. She just couldn't wait. She probably had saved this nard, this perfume here for his actual burial, but she just can't wait. I can't wait to do this. And so she just pours it all out because she's preparing for the burial, the death, and eventual resurrection of Jesus. She was preparing him for his death. That was her form of worship. I think we can learn here that our worship is the thing that prepares others to encounter this Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection. So here's what I mean. When worship does permeate our lives and we are worshiping him through these obediences and we're putting ourselves around people who have the stench and death and decay of the world, that, that our worship could be the thing that is preparing them to meet Jesus. It could be the thing. It could be the thing that Jesus uses to save our moms, our dads, our brothers, our sisters, our coworkers. When we're worshiping Jesus, we're preparing other people to meet Jesus Let me ask a question. What does your life say about Christ? Would you you say that your life is lived in such a way that it is preparing for non-believers to come to Jesus? A couple of things that we can investigate in that. Number one, is your life, like, is it worshiping Jesus where someone say, hey, you, you got something. I don't know what it is. You've got this hope and this peace and joy in you. I don't know what it is, but I want to know about it. Man, that, what do you do on Sundays? Why do you do what you do? Why do you give like Mary? Why do you serve like Martha? I mean, you're, are people asking you those questions? Are you preparing other people to encounter Christ? The other question is, is are you even putting yourself in the way of people to prepare them to encounter Christ? Or are you in the holy huddle, us four, no more frozen chosen? I don't want to get around those unbelievers. 
Now they can figure it out on their own. I figured it out. Me, as for me and my house, we know the Lord and we're going to heaven. Their blood's on their own heads. Is that, is that the way you're playing it? Our lives should be permeated in worship of Jesus and it should be preparing the way for other people to come to know Jesus too. Here's our last piece. Worship prizes. Worship prizes. True worship has an object. There's an object of all worship. Every living, breathing creature on the face of the earth worships. Okay, are we clear on that? Everybody worships. The question of if you worship or you don't worship is not on the table. Everyone worships something, but the object is different. And here we see in this story that Martha and Mary worshiped because they prized Jesus. He was the object of their worship. So Martha didn't serve because she wanted to get to heaven by her works. Martha didn't serve just because she was a restless busybody. You know, I, I just want to hustle and get around and I, I'm just a busy. That's not why she served. She did not worship Jesus because of those reasons. Martha didn't serve. I don't think she loved cooking because she, she wanted to be on Top Chef or on the cover of Good Housekeeping Magazine. That's not why she's doing this. She's doing this because she prized Jesus more than herself. It's that simple. Don't look anything deeper beyond that. Prizing Jesus was more important to her than prizing her own time. He was the object of her worship. She prized Jesus. Mary, giving this ointment to Jesus. It wasn't because Jesus just preached a drive-by guilting about giving. It wasn't because there was a campaign going on in the church and he needed a little bit of help here. That's not why she gave. Without a sermon, without a word, she gives because she prized Jesus more than her possessions. Just so we can feel the weight of what she gave, by the way, and why she prized Jesus more than this ointment. This was not just a tiny little vial of Chanel. That's not what was happening here. This perfume, we're told here in the text here, was about 300 denarii. That's the cost of that. You know what the equivalent of that today is? It's about $10,000. Some, maybe even 25, some say But could you just imagine that for just a moment? She's throwing down $10,000 at the feet of Jesus. And it's not to sow a seed of faith so that Jesus would make her rich. That's not why she's doing it. She's doing it because she prized Jesus that much. Another thing, it would have cost Mary that 300 denarii, One denarii was the equivalent of one day's wages. It would have cost her 300 
12 hour work days to pay for this thing. Let that sit for a minute. A year salary for her. She poured it out at the feet of Jesus because she prized him above all things. And notice, another little side note, she didn't just give a tiny little pinch. It wasn't just a half of the bottle. Mark 14 says that she broke the alabaster. The entire bottle was broken at the feet of the master, right? Man, worship of Jesus is not given half-hearted. It's the fullness of giving to Jesus. Wow. What would you give for Jesus? What is your most valuable possession? Is it your is it your money? Your bank account? Is it your position, your career, your job, your time? What would you give to Jesus because you prize him more than anything else? I think about Martha and Mary here. So humble. Seeing Jesus as the ultimate prize. And they were willing to give up everything because Jesus was more valuable than everything. They just saw him rightly. But there's another person in the story, isn't there? His name's Judas. And for him, Jesus was not a prize. He was a problem. Let's look at it. 12 verses 4 through 8. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, he said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. You see, Judas was upset by Mary's worship. He believed that it would be extravagant. Now, I will say this. At the first, he sounds very pragmatic. He sounds like a a good steward, right? Even like such good stewardship that even Dave Ramsey would be proud of him. And it sounds like he would serve on a church committee uh, controlling the finances. Hey, we don't need to pour out all this. Let's be smart about this. Do you know what we can do with these funds? Do you know how we can give to the poor? Of course, that was a cover for his covetousness, but he, he sounds like he's really... He's faithful, sounds like faithful, but we know that not to be true because he was a fraud. He was the devil himself is what Judas was because he kept charge of the money bag. He was the church purse keeper, 
and he had sticky fingers. And he wanted to use all of the money to put into his pockets and not for the cause of Christ. Judas was a Satan-like figure because he wanted what belonged to the Lord. See, that perfume belonged to the Lord. But Judas wanted it for himself. Again, he says here, I think about him, him it doesn't say specifically he was talking to Mary, but he had to be talking to Mary. And he's basically saying, Mary, this is overboard. Like you're being really extreme on this Jesus thing. Like he's good. I agree, he's good. But you're kind of, Mary, you're kind of like a Jesus freak here. You're just going way, way overboard on this Jesus kind of thing. And so we know that, that those words are the words spoken by people whose heart has never met God. Do you have anybody in your life, in your past or right now, that's ever sounded like that before? Hey, man, you're like a religious freak. Like, why do you go and worship Jesus every week? I mean, can't you miss some? What's the big deal? Like, what, you give 10% of your income to Jesus? That's, man, can't you just give a little bit? You don't got to go overboard and extravagant. Church, listen for just a minute. Beware of the Judases in your life who try to get in your head to think that lavishly giving to Jesus is overboard. This is normative giving to people who see Jesus as worthy of all things. Be careful about the Judases in your life. Be careful. Of course, we know for those that the way this story kind of ends, if you don't know, let me help you, Judas. Instead of him giving or willing to give $10,000 to Jesus, he would eventually betray Jesus with a kiss and sell him for $1,000. And it didn't end there. And because Jesus, I'm sorry, because Judas did not see Jesus as beautiful, Judas eventually became suicidal. He killed himself. He committed suicide. Physical suicide, also spiritual suicide. Now, let me kind of transition into some thoughts and how we can respond to this today. The story is interesting because it has two distinctively different responses to Jesus. And the fact that they, they all had experienced the same Jesus though, Martha and Mary and Judas all experienced the same Jesus physically. They'd seen what he had done. They'd seen the miracles that he had performed. They had listened to all the sermons. They went to the same church. 
And they were there every single day. But yet, two completely different responses. Two completely different responses. Love and hate. Worship, wickedness. Spiritual life, spiritual suicide. Smell of worship, smell of death. Martha and Mary are a profile of heaven. And Judas is a profile of hell. There's only two ways that we can respond to this story today. Only two ways. There is no mushy middle here, church. There's no kind of in the middle lukewarmness. It's Jesus is everything or Jesus is nothing. That's the only acceptable worship to him, by the way. He's not pleased with half-heartedness. It's all or it is nothing. How will you respond today? Will you respond like Martha and Mary or will you respond like Judas? Everyone walks out today, either a Martha or a Mary or a Judas. And that might be, listen, that might be offensive to you. I'm sorry, but... This is just the Bible unapologetic. This is the lesson that we learn from this. What, what, what was the difference? What was the difference? Why, why did Martha and Mary see that, but Judas did not? Number one, Judas, of course, he prized himself. He loved himself more than Jesus. He was the object of his own worship. But more than that, I think it's because Mary and Martha knew what Jesus was going to do on the cross and give his life. And they believed that salvation was by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And they knew that. And Judas did not believe that. That was the deciding factor between the two. And that is the deciding factor in your response today, do you believe in Jesus? Not, I know a little bit about Jesus and I go to church a little bit and it's kind of a religion thing and he's a good guy. And a, not that, but do you truly believe in the Jesus of the Bible and what he actually came to do? Let me give you probably the reality of what Jesus did. And maybe it'll help us stir up our affections and maybe even stir up some of you to believe in the real Jesus today because here's the reality. We are all born with the stench of death. Every single person born in the world has the stench and the smell of decay on us from Adam's sin, and from our own sin. We smell like death to God. Nothing pleasing about us. 
He doesn't delight in us. In fact, we have like a spiritual odor that is repulsive to him. It's called sin. He can't be around it. It's the smell of death. More bad news, there's nothing that you can do to wash away the stench of death on you. You can't clean yourself up, do a bunch of good deeds and a bunch of good works, give a lot of money or serve Jesus enough to wash the stench of death off of us. Bad, bad news, right? But God, but God did not leave us in that place. He sent his one and only son who did not pour out perfume. He poured out his blood for the salvation of sinners. And when he did that, it was a pleasing aroma to God, a sweet fragrance of life and salvation in what his son accomplished. And for everyone who believes in Jesus, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that sweet aroma of Christ permeates to you. Now you, by grace through faith, you have the aroma of life. You smell good to God forever and ever and ever. Not because he smells you, it's because he smells Christ on you, right? That's the thing. This is the whole point of this. So the question is for you today, man, do you want the aroma of life, not death, worship, not wickedness, spiritual life, not spiritual suicide? Do you want Jesus today? Do you want to believe upon Jesus? The the deacons are going to come up. Deacons, you guys kind of come in place if you can and get get in a place of response today because we're going to do a couple of things. Uh, If we could have maybe two up front and then uh, a couple in the back. Is there a lady here too, by the way? Thank you. Thank you, Stacy. So band's going to come up too. Banshee, y'all come on out. So here's here's the response today. Number one, if you're here today, you have heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and what he came today to do. If you want to give your life to Christ today, you can come up. You can come up and you can pray with anyone here. There's some deacons in the back and you just say, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to believe in Jesus. And you can do that. People are doing it every week. It could be you. I know it's kind of awkward moving in and out of seats sometimes. There's not a lot of space. But listen, if the Lord moves somebody, he's going to move you. There's no obstacle like a small aisleway. Oh, God, I can't do that. They can't move. No, he'll move you. That's what you can do during this time. You can also move after the service too. God's not bound to five minutes of response time to move you as well. And so if the Lord's calling you to get up and move and believe in Jesus, you can do that. For those who have the aroma of Christ, here is the challenge to you today. Are you living a life of worship that is pleasing to God? Are you serving? and his bride. 
See, there's, there's people here tracking with me. They love the aroma of Christ. They love all that. But the reality is you ain't serving nobody here. You serve yourself. You serve your own children, and you should. But it just stops there. That's a life of selfishness. You need to worship Jesus by your serving by practicing a life of servitude to Jesus because you value and prize him more than anything else, more than your time, more than your children's nap time and snack time. One day a week we can do that. I know we can. Many people are doing it every single Sunday. And so some of you need to move and you need to serve while others you need to begin to practice giving. By being willing to part from your worldly possessions because Jesus is your prize. And you don't just say that. We can't just say that with our mouth and our words. We have to show him. Mary didn't just say, I prize you, Jesus. She practiced it. She showed him. She took action. Our action is to give sacrificially, monetarily, yes, to Jesus and his cause. Because he's worthy of all things. So some of you just need to, you need to get a blue card. And it says, talk to somebody about giving. That's what you need to start doing. Oh, what a blessed honor it is to give to the Lord. To take that, our money that we, we, we think we work for, right? It's really all from the Lord. But to take that money and to make much of Christ with it, what an honor it is to, to do that. So some of you need to do that. Some of you need to think through how you're worshiping Christ in your homes, in your marriage. Some of you need to worship Christ through singing. We're going to sing a song called I Stand Amazed. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Are you, are you amazed at the presence of Jesus the Nazarene? Or are you just here to go to church today? I pray that we can as a congregation right now stand up. So let's stand up right now. And if you believe in Jesus and he is your prize, stand amazed in the presence of Jesus and let him know through your singing. I love you guys.